0: Great. So I'm happy to be here. Tonight's topic um, is Right Livelihood. Um, We've been going through the Eightfold Path one step at a time and we've made it this far, which is just slightly past halfway. So, good job. Right Livelihood is the fifth step of the Eightfold Path. And it's the last step that's in the sila, or virtue, portion of the path. Um, that consists of speech, and then action, and then livelihood. So I would see this as a sort of an expansion. You start with speech and then expand to other forms of action. Speech is, after all, an action. And finally arrive at livelihood, which is everything you do that supports your life. And we want to make sure that this is aligned and um, in harmony with our our goal on the path. So in investigating Sila many people describe and I've also experienced uh, kind of a direct feeling of alignment or wholesomeness when beneficial actions are undertaken And then also a corresponding feeling of being off or a little bit misaligned when unwholesome actions are being undertaken. We can know this in our own bodies. And we know that it's a direct sense and not an idea like about what we should or shouldn't do because it ends up being kind of situation dependent. Uh, You may have noticed yourself sometimes speaking out and sometimes not speaking out, for instance. Uh, Under situations that seem similar, maybe superficially, but they do contain differences. Every, Every set of conditions is different. And if you go with this feeling of alignment inside, that's the most reliable guide to correct action. So, the best part is that this seemingly small view that's focused on our own internal sensations, our own Feeling of alignment and our individual actions can, in fact, help us make decisions even when we're talking about larger topics, like, for example, um, our livelihood, our society, uh, the way to treat our planetary environment. Seems strange that individual action would add up to that, but it's true. There's no need to get confused about various ideas that seem to conflict and contradict our heart remains true at all scales, large and small. This is the link between action and livelihood and it's something that I'd like to explore a little bit more in this talk. So more than the other steps on the path, right livelihood sometimes seems to imply something that's outside of ourselves. Um, It's sort of obvious that right view or right speech or right effort Uh, is something that is done by the practitioner. But with right livelihood we often get entangled in the idea that it's about something outside, like finding the right job, for instance. Um, And in fact the Buddha really meant a lot more than that. So two years ago uh, I left my job of seven years with a stable company and a competent boss (laughs) to. attend a school that teaches sustainable business. I was feeling like my work had become repetitive and in a more important sense that maybe it wasn't contributing in a way that was entirely beneficial to society or to myself. And I was seeking something that was, that was more beneficial, that would bring about more well-being. So, because I engaged in this process fairly mindfully over the last couple of years, it has been an investigation into Right Livelihood. And I don't have grand conclusions, but I'd like to share some of what I've learned so far. Tonight, it's an ongoing process. So at a very gross level, Right Livelihood is about finding the right job. Um, The Buddha defined certain categories of jobs as wrong livelihood, in particular uh, dealing in weapons, animals, humans, intoxicants and poisons, these five. Um, so our very first step is to make sure that we're not supporting ourselves through these unskillful means. Of course for monastics the list is much longer. But in fact there's more. There. Um, other considerations that point toward why Right Livelihood is not about your job. Um, The first is that we can remember that in the Buddha's time people didn't necessarily choose their profession the way we do now. Um, Often people did their job that their family had done for a long time. So it can't solely be concerned with the making the right choice among the spectrum of careers that we often face here at least in the privileged portion of the West. Um, that is a component for us because that's a choice that we have, but it can't be the only one. And then also, right livelihood is for everyone who's on the path. Uh, it's not just for working age adults, you know it's for uh, people who are well into their elder years, people who may be uh, physically handicapped to the degree that uh, participating in the regular workforce is not an option for them. So, you know, what would rate right livelihood be for somebody who has a health condition that confines them to bed 24 hours a day? And then, of course, there are people who um, make their livelihood through uh, dana. So, um, Buddhist monks and nuns, and some teachers and some elders in our society um, subsist on the donations of others, the generosity of others entirely. So is this somehow the the best form of livelihood, the rightest form? So if it's not just about our career search, what other components are there to right livelihood? It's a lot more about how the work is done than what the work is. In particular, uh, Zen teacher Misha Merrill, who I think was here last week, uh, has a nice phrase. She says we should do our work honestly and with care. So what does that mean? Um, honestly means truthfully, of course, but it also means with authenticity. So bringing our whole heart to what we do, not concealing parts of ourselves and not harming ourselves or others in the course of our work. So in other words, it's kind of about working ethically. Gill once had a um, he tells about a lawyer who came to him once um, explaining that in his job he's expected to lie. And this lawyer wanted to know how he could do that consistent with his Buddhist practice. And you know, I, I don't know exactly what Gil said, but the essence was well, you, you can't. And then uh, with, with care is the other component. So with care first of all means in a caring way, um, compassion, bringing compassion to our work. Um, it's the opposite of, of cruelty, of, or the opposite of exploiting the weaknesses of others. So working with compassion is about remembering that everyone's doing the best they can, and you know, even our competitors want to live an untroubled life so we don't um, engage with them in that way. And with care also means carefully, or mindfully, so that means not cutting corners and taking care to handle the materials and the communications that we have to deal with every day with in a careful way. And proceeding also at an appropriate pace. So the uh, frantic pace of work that we often pursue in Silicon Valley is not really about working with care. So even if we're a lawyer representing Battered spouses or abused children, if we're lying to do our job, it's not honest, it's not ethical. Um, and even if we work for a nonprofit doing social service, if we're constantly rushed and sloppy because we've taken on more work than we can handle, then we're not working with care. The results of this may not be as beneficial as we're hoping. And of course, Our livelihood is not just about our employment. It's about everything that supports our life. And that includes our food and water, our shelter, um, our clothing, our means of keeping our bodies and our communities healthy. So we can easily be seduced into thinking that we're going to worry about all those other things once we secure enough money from our job. But as we practice with the way we live, it becomes clearer and clearer that a more integrated approach is necessary. So we can begin to see how our lives are part of a larger picture. When we buy an apple, we're supporting the store that sold it to us, but also the distributor, the picker, the farmer, etc. Uh, If the apple is organic, we're supplying a little bit of support to that type of agriculture. So every day we're making a lot of choices about how we use things like water, electricity, plastic, paper, oil, as well as our time and our attention. How would we behave if we understood how far-reaching the effects of all these choices are? So I know people who have moved to farms or cooperative living situations, or have gone off the electrical grid um, in an effort to live more harmoniously. I have a friend who's teaching himself candle and soap making, and another friend who committed to buying nothing besides food and basic toiletries for an entire year. You know, and I myself have been doing things around the house um, to use less energy and you know do more reuse and recycling. It's worth bringing a lot of awareness to these practices once we start doing them. I know a lot of people around here are working with this area. We can find that practicing with the physical aspects of life can get very complex. For example, we can get entangled in worrying about whether uh, plastic or paper bags at the grocery store are more harmful. I remember a, uh, a cartoon where the grocery shopper is asked by the bagger, would you like a deforestating paper or landfill burdening plastic? <laughs> and you know Of course, now we all have our cloth bags that we, that we bring, um, But some of them are made of cotton, and um, cotton is a very uh, pesticide-intensive crop. In fact, if you, if you look at all the pesticides that are used globally, 25 uh, percent of them go to a single crop. They go to cotton. So uh given all of this, it's important to include the mental component in this practice. So if we're buying an organic apple, but we're doing it with a mind of resentment about the higher price, it might be that at that moment, buying the cheaper option is doing more good in our lives. Okay. Um, if we purchase a hybrid car, but then find that it comes with all these feelings of ecological superiority, you know as we go past the SUVs on the highway, you know, watch out. That's, those, those mind states that are happening in the present are, the, are what's important. And also experiencing uh, paralyzing guilt about our inevitably large carbon footprint as Americans that it's almost impossible to avoid guilt to the point where we can't act anymore is unlikely to lead to our happiness. So some of the folks who are altering their behavior to, to, be, to live more lightly are um, doing so with sort of mixed motivations. Of course there's compassion and there's wisdom there. It's better than not doing it. Um, but there may also be things like fear or resistance or anger going on at the same time, and it's important to, to notice these states also. Sometimes people try to convert other people or place a lot of guilt trips on them about how they're living. And this contributes to conflict in the world. So living as a responsible member of the ecosystem is a lot less straightforward than just focusing solely on the physical resources that we're using. I find myself inspired by a simple teaching from Shila. She once said, work at the deepest level that you can. So to me this means taking into account both the physical components, like the use of precious resources, and also the more spiritual components like intention and generosity and gratitude and wisdom. It's often a very intuitive choice and it can look different in different situations. So, I remember a woman um, sharing her experience at a day long once. She worked um, in the coffee industry and she was a, uh, an advocate for fair labor practices, um, trying to reduce the incidence of child labor on the farms that comes about when they are trying to produce a very high volume for multinational corporations. And she had had an especially exhausting week of negotiations and she found herself in the airport. Standing in line at Starbucks, and part of her mind said, "Whoa, whoa! You can't have this coffee. This goes against everything that you stand for." Um, and at that moment, another part of her mind spoke up and said, "Yeah, but I, I still care about fair labor practices. That's, that's my life. But at this exact moment, I really need a cup of coffee." <laughs> so. You know, in, in my own life I work to do things around the house and, and drive less, but at the same time this sustainable business program that I went to required me to take a monthly airplane trip to Seattle. So is that sustainable? I don't know. <laughs> the irony certainly wasn't lost on me. So when we begin to live and work closer to right livelihood, there is a feeling there's this feeling of alignment that I mentioned earlier so one of less struggle and less stress and less fatigue. And this comes about even if the work becomes physically harder or lower paying or more emotionally challenging. In fact, this feeling of alignment is a reliable gauge to this step of the path. And it makes sense on the on the path. The ceaseless steps of speech and action and livelihood support the development of the samadhi steps of effort and mindfulness and concentration which come afterwards. So as we begin to live more in tune and in a way that it creates less inner conflict for us, we gain greater ability to settle our mind in meditation. And and viewed another way, actually, the degree of alignment in our life with our job is an outward manifestation of the degree of alignment that we have achieved in meditation. They balance. So even in a deeper sense then, maybe you could say right livelihood is about finding the right job, um, but not in an abstract way about what we ought to be doing, some idea of how we ought to be serving. Instead, the task is to look into our own heart and discover our most authentic and aligned way of manifesting in the world. So this is the way that, like the other steps on the path, right livelihood comes from within. It flows from our deepest intentions. It takes great courage and great faith to exist in the world in this way and doing so is a supreme act of service. The form that our right livelihood takes may surprise us. Another thing that Misha Merrill said is that she once likened us to a collection of ingredients for a recipe. And as we allow our practice to shape us, we may find ourselves coming out as a chocolate cake, or we may find ourselves coming out as a steak for vegetarian that might be surprising so who knows you know we can't know ahead of time what we're going to be shaped into and as we see ourselves evolving we're encouraged to develop kindness for ourselves and maybe some astonishment for how we're turning out and maybe we'll learn to take ourselves a little less seriously in the process also So for me, this has involved coming to peace with some aspects of my abilities and my training. I'm educated as a scientist, and in most of the business jobs that I had, I worked in quantitative analysis of various types. So as I practice and study Buddhism, I have found new interests and qualities of heart unfolding in me and have actually experienced some aversion to the more analytical and thinking portions of my mind. Luckily, this practice is self-correcting and it doesn't allow us to reject large parts of ourselves for long periods of time. It doesn't work. Um, so, for, so I've been slowly seeing new ways that, that thinking and analysis can be used for benefit. Actually, investigation is a factor of enlightenment. So, um, but also still, but also honoring and including the new interests and abilities that have been arising. I would say this is an ongoing process, but it's a great relief to be incorporating more and more elements of myself into how I live. So as we explore the myriad ways to be in the world, We also come to see that livelihoods differ greatly for different people. In particular, for one person, it may be that a certain type of work isn't advised for them because it's not really beneficial for their development. Even if theoretically there's nothing wrong with that work, it's neutral work. For certain people, that might not be the right work. However, for somebody else, that might be the perfect work that's really beneficial or supportive of what they need to be doing at that time in their life. Sometimes along our trek along the path we get the idea that being a monastic is the only way that we're going to be able to really practice right. If I'm really serious I'm going to have to don the robes. And For some people that's true. That's how it is. um, That's the best choice. But I wouldn't say that's true for everyone. So seeing how right livelihood is different for different people begins to lessen our tendency to judge the way other people are living. And it contributes to the development of compassion. Actually investigating right livelihood I'm sure can bring out many, many results in different people depending how they do it, and I'd, I'd just like to share three results that I've noticed in my own investigation. Uh, the first is uh, wisdom in the form of learning how to bring all of myself to my work. So I've gained some pretty intimate knowledge about what this feeling of alignment is for me and, how, and I can carry this as a guide in choosing how to use my energy in the world and also some wisdom in the form of a more spacious heart, um, seeing my life as part of a larger whole, in one flow as part of a bigger stream. This is essentially an insight into anatta or not self. In the end, our our work is not really about us personally. And finally compassion. So the work of discovering right livelihood is deep and challenging and it's long term. Uh, It's not something that you do and you find it and then you're done. It goes on and continues to evolve. And as we do it, it becomes obvious why the world of jobs and the economy and society are so chaotic and so painful. We begin to tune into the incredible amount of suffering that drive our daily life activities and our quest for survival. We begin to see that everyone is really just doing the best that they can. Sylvia Vorstein says, Life is so difficult, how could we be anything but kind? I had an interesting conversation recently with some of my sustainable business classmates. We talked about how we had arrived at school with some sense of certainty about the problems with business and how they might be addressed. But after two years of immersive learning about how business is connected to the environment and to society, to communities and people's personal lives, we feel a lot less certain about the particulars. We've traded our small certainties for a larger perception of the interdependence of the system that we're all part of. Right livelihood can't be arrived at abstractly. It emerges from mindful attention to the details of our actions and how they relate to the world around us. Once this sense of what is wholesome or aligned and what is unwholesome or misaligned um, begins to develop in us, even just a little bit, it becomes clearer where our effort should be applied. We should apply effort to develop what is wholesome, and we should apply effort to restrain ourselves from what is unwholesome. That's pretty much it. (laughs) That's right effort. That's the link between right livelihood and right effort. It's the way the development of this feeling of alignment through the Sila portion of the path informs what we need to do. Of course, if we're going to seriously undertake right effort, we're going to need two things. We're going to need careful attention and we're going to need a calm mind. And those are the next two steps. That's mindfulness and concentration. So these are developed in the samadhi portion of the path, the meditation portion of the path. And this is how it flows naturally from the sila portion of the path. So in summary, back to Right Livelihood, Right Livelihood is not a fantasy job or lifestyle that we're going to attain in the future when we have more money, more time, more flexibility, a degree, something that we're aiming for. Actually, Right Livelihood happens in every moment that we're conscious of how our energy and attention and our body are being used to support ourselves, our life, and the lives of all beings. And we can choose to use these resources that we have for peace and for service and for liberation. Thank you. So, I'm curious if anybody has comments about how right livelihood feels to them or or they've experienced it in the course of their lives. Questions, comments, yes. So, I'm actually that social worker
1: that you said that has a lot of work and always trying to help, but then you've know, you got so much work, you have to do it quickly. that much care or time as you like to because of the load of work. Right. And, but then there is this dilemma always in my head that if I don't do it, you know, this could be, then there would be a lot of people who want to get their services on time. And there's always a question of what is more important? Is it more important to do with more care and spending time with each client? Or is it better to just do it quickly, so that person at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the line, will also be able to just be satisfied, you know? So desperate, you need that.
0: Yeah.
1: So
0: yeah, that's that's hard. Um, what have you noticed? Have you tried it both ways?
1: Yeah, I always used to do it with care, but then as the workload is increasing and increasing. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's impossible to continue just, you know, do the care, and you have to. Uh, I usually try to put some balance and try to um, go. Okay, this case is a very involved child, so maybe I should put more care. This one is an easy case, so I should put it uh-huh. more faster. But I don't know for how long can I do that. I am seeing that it's. Reaching with all this budget deficit. The thing is, getting to the point that the resources come to the, you know, the money is limited for this number of cases. So you have to just basically do it as quickly as possible, try to spend less of your time for each case.
0: Sounds like you're bringing a lot of wisdom into it and trying to make that difficult choice okay. each time. Yeah the the field of suffering is very big, bigger than any one person can take care of. I do remember one time um, John Travis said this was a different context, but um, somebody asked him about hurrying and whether that was properly Buddhist. <laughs> and he, his response was that the speed that you do something at um, May not, be, may not affect the mindfulness that can be brought to it as we develop our practice. So he felt that after time he had learned how to be mindful and fast at the same time. I think that's something we all have to work out for ourselves, though. <laughs>
1: And emerged in your reflections on your own experience of mindfulness was the balance between the work we do out in the world and the work we do investing in our own personal environments and our homes and creating a, a wholesome and space for ourselves. Yeah. And I found uh, that sense of doing the right thing emerging over the last few weeks, now that the decade of quarter is over, that Walked away from all the emails and all the, the big you know, pile of stuff in the inbox, and instead just spent some time cleaning up my office and making it less cluttered and more welcoming. Mm. And that's felt really, um, it's, felt, it's felt like the right thing. And I, I think it makes the place a more welcoming place for students who come to see me and so forth as well.
0: Yeah, having that creating space, basically. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah.
2: curious about how you made the decision to walk
1: away from a job and to take a new path. I wonder if you could say some, some
2: words about
0: that. Yeah, it was, um, it was an intuitive decision. I had been having the feeling for a while that I was ready to change. You know, I felt like I wanted to try something different, but I didn't know exactly what, and it was a case of reading about this school online. I just happened to read it in somebody's blog entry, and it sort of caught my eye, and I went to the website, and then I went on to other things. And then a few weeks later, I somehow found myself at the website again. And I noticed that and I said, oh, here I am again. And Interestingly at one point um, I clicked on the courses that were offered at this school and they had a list of all the courses you would take if you went through the program. And um, one of them was called Creativity and Right Livelihood. And when I read that phrase this voice in my head said, I'm going. So, I can't really explain it, but I was there a few months later. Yeah, Deborah? Maybe uh, going along
1: with that, do you have any vision or feeling about uh, the direction that this
0: will take you in terms of your own life with it when you have completed? Well, I have completed it. I just graduated. <laughs> <laughs> and, your question is very apt, though, because I don't have a job yet. <laughs> um, I'm remaining open at this point. to. Um, I would like to work for an enterprise that has some sense of value in what it's doing, whether it's a for profit or a non profit. And um, I'm still searching for that same intuitive sense of, oh, this is the right way. So I'm exploring a lot of options at this point.
2: Um my job I um it's a medical field and so turn around time pressures because
1: results out and make sure they're accurate and you know it all that's so that you have to keep giving feedback to the people that work with and to um, take the time to have a little bit more compassionate interaction. Actually, works out when you take that little extra time, a little bit more care. I right, find that it can end up being a lot more effective as far as trial times and all that too. Just people are more um, into what they're doing than uh, having a good relationship with other people. is
2: so beneficial.
0: So you go slower to go faster, <laughs> <laughs> or. Go slower to go better. <laughs> yeah.
1: I still have a problem with yeah. trying to rush people and stuff, but I have tried to take a lot more time in interactions with people. Great. Yeah. Was the school experience for you what you had
0: imagined? No, it's never as we imagine it. It was better than I imagined. <laughs> I, um, I learned things there that I uh, didn't know that I would learn, and discovered the things that I needed to let go of <laughs> in going there. Um, it was a fairly alternative education experience. It wasn't sitting in classrooms in the usual way. It was a lot more co-creative learning, um, teamwork in ways that I hadn't done it before, so I've become a lot... I, I realized how um, uh, control-oriented I was on getting things done, and um, have let go of a lot of that and learned how to work in groups in different ways. So yeah, it turned out to be very, very good in terms of personal development as well as what I, the subject I was learning.
1: Trusted
0: with or authority that you need to Hmm. Well, working in a hierarchical situation isn't necessarily, in my view, isn't necessarily harmful or Um, an unbeneficial way to organize work um, if it combines with flexibility. So, as, um, as with anything else in practice, letting go of something such as authority or power relationships doesn't mean not having them it more means not getting stuck on them. Um, something that we all would need to practice with individually. But um, yeah, I think that's that's my top-level answer. Is that it's something to it's another thing to be let go of and and handled skillfully in each situation. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about um, being really careful about where you're coming from, so sort of the right intention in in it. Or you can
2: just
0: say it. I think. You know, yeah. I really I it.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, it, a lot of people accept that, or they don't argue with you. Mm-hmm.
0: for that reminder. Well, I'm going to quote Aya Loka, um, whom I talked to this last weekend. Um, somebody asked her if her path was difficult. And she said, well, people may think it's difficult. Um, in fact, it's the most difficult thing, except for one other thing. And that's not following the path. So yeah, okay. I think that's a, a good point. <laughs> Well, um, certainly people there were attuned to the more values or spiritually oriented aspects of life. Um, I never met so many people who either actively meditated or were considering it um, in a school program that I'd been in, at least. However, um, not a, a great proportion were Buddhists. There were many, many strands of um, values-oriented work. And one thing that I appreciated at the school was that it was a container for people to do this kind of exploration, and they understood that at some level. It's not just that we're imparting this information, it's that we're creating a place for people who want to do this kind of exploration. And So that was an explicit component. Of what was going on there, and yeah, definitely not only Buddhist. Well, we're at about five of nine, so. Perhaps that's, yeah. Thank you all.
2: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.